chances are that you already know Dawn Schaefer. She's best known as the treasurer of the Stony Brook, Connecticut-based Babysitter's Club. We also know her and love her for bringing a bit of California cool to the group. But what happens when Dawn leaves the BSC and moves back to California to live with her dad? My friends, the California Diaries is what happens. Anne M. Martin and her team oh so wisely created this spin-off series to document Dawn's life back on the West Coast, where she reunites with her old friends and makes a few new ones too. These diary-style books are a little sassier than your standard Babysitter's Club installments, touching on topics worthy of your average after-school special. Take the first book in the series, for example, which is written from Dawn's perspective. In it, our main character struggles with the jarring transition to high school, growing distance with some of her besties, friend breakups, a rowdy party, hazing, and drinking. In this episode, my guest, who loved this book as a young reader herself, talks through all of the details with me. We spend time chatting about our favorite babysitters, shifting friendships, gaps in maturity, the adult drama we craved more of when reading this book as grown-ups, queer coding, Dawn's weird relationship with her stepmom, and the bizarre lack of consequences for our teen ensemble cast. We do discuss pregnancy loss briefly toward the end of this episode, so be mindful of that if it's a trigger for you. Let me tell you about my guest. Rachel Collarcroft is a novelist and WGA Award-nominated screenwriter in Los Angeles, where she has scripted projects for Bloomhouse, Sony Pictures Entertainment, and Comedy Central, among others. She lives by the beach with her husband, Charles, and their rescue pit bull, Juniper. By now, I am sure you have seen the insanely beautiful and striking cover of Rachel's debut novel, Stone Cold Fox, around. I just finished it last week and absolutely adored it, so I recommend getting your hands on a copy. Follow Rachel on Instagram at rachcolercroft. If you are new to the show, make sure that you are following along with all things SSR on social media too. We are at SSRpod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. If you're interested in getting involved in a more active virtual book club, now is a great time to jump into SWR or Shit We Read. We recently started our June discussion about all this could be different. Learn more and join us at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. When you join SWR as an SSR patron, you will be supporting the podcast and getting a bunch of super cool exclusive rewards in return. Think monthly newsletters, reading recap videos, bonus episodes, an invite to our Discord channel, access to bonus Q&As with every guest. It's all good stuff. I would love to see you there. I am so grateful for the patrons currently supporting SSR. It truly makes a huge difference in helping the show grow. You can also help the show grow with a five-star rating or review or by sharing a screenshot of this episode to your Instagram story. If you are planning lots of travel this summer, you are going to need some good audiobooks, and I recommend finding them at Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. Once you're there, you can use code SSRpodcast when prompted to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Libro.fm is a fantastic place to buy audiobooks because it supports indie booksellers instead of giant corporations. The audiobooks you buy there will sound and cost the same as the ones you buy from the big guys. I am still having a lot of fun working my way through Andy Cohen's The Daddy Diaries thanks to Libro.fm. He reads it himself, which is my favorite kind of audiobook. I can't wait to hear what audiobooks you treat yourself to using my code. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. 
You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Allie Hoff-Kosick, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to SSR. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and to talk about one of my favorite books from my youth. (laughs) We are taking a little trip to the West Coast. I live in Philadelphia, so to me, this really is a big trip. We are going with our girl Dawn Schaefer from Stony Brook, Connecticut to the suburbs of LA, as far as I can understand it. We are reading the first book in Anne M. Martin's California Diary series, which was an extension of our beloved Babysitter's Club. And I mentioned this to you before we started recording, Rachel, but the responses that I have gotten, like the range of them to this book cover when I posted it on Instagram, hilarious. So we had the people that were like, oh my gosh, I love this book, made me feel so mature. Then I got a lot that were like, oh my gosh, this one was about like drugs. Like Dawn was doing drugs in these. These are so wild. And then there were a couple that were like, gasp, like I was never allowed to read these because they were scandalous. So people have strong feelings about this book. And like anytime we touch on the Babysitter's Club characters, we know that people are going to be interested. So I'm super excited to talk about this with you. Same. It was one of those things where like, I knew I read this book many, many times because especially this this first one, because I know, I think I read a couple others. I vaguely remember a Sunny cover. I vaguely remember an Amalia cover, but like this one in particular with like Dawn's face in the pool, like I just clearly remember it. And I had, to, I know I have a copy somewhere at my mother's, but we couldn't find it. So I was like, I'm just going to buy one on Amazon, which sadly it's out of print. So I purchased one from some far flung <laughs> destination and it actually arrived soaking wet. So I had to to like leave it outside and now it actually looks like I read it in the pool or something like it has that kind of like crinkly yeah YA kind of fun vibe but all the memories started rushing back when I started reading it and I also remember feeling like it was a very scandalous series and I remember thinking that they were more grown up than they actually were I didn't realize they were in eighth grade for some reason my memory was that they were already in high school but maybe due to the plot that's why I got confused because technically they are in high school in this book that's correct if we're gonna get technical about it they are in high school (laughs) I did not even know that this series existed until a couple of years ago when I started the podcast and we did our first babysitters club episode and I did like my initial deep dive research session into the BSC. And I realized that this was many of the series extensions that they tried for Babysitter's Club, most of which succeeded, most of which we've heard about. So I I most definitely did not read these books. I'd never heard of them. This one was published in 1997 and there were 15 in total. And I wanted to read a quote from a piece I found on Bustle that was posted in 2014 entitled Seven Grown-Up Moments from California Diaries. And this is how that article opens. It says, there's a moment in every reader's life when she comes to the sad, startling realization that she's grown out of a beloved series. It's a depressing moment, that discovery that growing up means saying goodbye to all those characters she'd come to know over her childhood, even if it is time. Yet for devotees of the Babysitter's Club series, discovering that Marianne's crushes and Christie's new charges just wasn't cutting it anymore came with a silver lining. Anne M. Martin, we learned, had written a babysitter's spin-off series meant for those who'd loved the books but needed something a bit more mature. 
California Diaries. <laughs> so that's what this was all about. Now, I have to know like your whole relationship with the Babysitter's Club. Sure. Because there is no California Diaries without the Babysitter's Club. Were you a fan of the girls in there like – kinder gentler version and then you grew into California Diaries like tell me the whole thing yes I definitely was babysitter's club first but I also think I definitely remember being into the little sister series as well with Karen when I was very young and feeling like it's honestly possible I read those first I don't remember exactly but then like grew into the babysitter's club which is funny because they're not even that grown up but compared to Karen they certainly were and I was always very drawn to Stacy and Dawn they were my two faves and if I'm really being honest with myself though I think I'm probably more of a Christie <laughs> but I always like to think of myself as a Stacy or a Dawn so then by the time I knew this series was coming out. I was very excited because Dawn was just always my girl. I just, the whole California of it all, I live in California now, but I'm from Chicago originally. Like I just always kind of liked her energy. So I remember reading this and feeling like, oh, we're not in Stony Brook anymore. <laughs> and like I just, the way she, and it was just kind of cute to, because I don't have, I don't have any memories of the story now that I've reread it as an adult and I thought I would, but I didn't. And I actually thought it captured a really difficult thing that everyone goes through around eighth grade where like all your friendships start changing because everyone starts kind of growing up at a different pace. And I kind of, I don't know. I really liked Dawn's voice in this. I didn't remember it being, um, it was called California Diaries. I actually didn't remember it being diary entries. And I, I thought Anna Martin did a really good job with that. I really enjoyed just like being in her sweet little head. And I feel like she really wrote it like an eighth grader would write. There were a couple times that I just thought Dawn was laugh out loud funny. Yes. When they go to, it's like the first day and they're in study hall or cafeteria or something, I don't remember, and the teacher leaves the room and two two older kids start making out. And she says something like, I've never seen anything like this before in such close range. <laughs> it was so funny to me that I actually laughed out loud. And she said something else about one of the senior boys looking so old like he yeah. could be her father. That made me laugh a lot too. And something about one of their friends is wearing a sweatshirt that's kind of like childish or whatever and Dawn writes something about it. I think it was commendable of us that we didn't comment <laughs> on it. It was just like really cute. She's funny. I didn't remember that. She is funny. I'd be curious to read some of the diaries written by the other characters in this world to see like how different the voices are because yeah like you said and as the the series name suggests these are diaries and I came across a review from the Chicago Tribune that came out in 1997 and they were like we went into this like thinking we weren't gonna like it like we sort of didn't want to like it and <laughs> the conclusion was basically like you know this isn't great literature but this is like refreshingly honest to what it's like to be a teenager and Don says things that most kids and teens and tweens like are too polite to say but are always thinking and I thought that was so accurate. Yeah, I totally agree. I like I thought the diary format really served Dawn well. And I, I don't know if I will, but I would be curious to read the other characters because it was just something that I just remember really enjoying these and feeling very grown up and that, you know, this wasn't the babysitter's club. This was Dawn's story as an official high schooler. <laughs> this isn't your grandma's babysitter's club. <laughs> right, exactly. This is Dawn and we're in California now. They do things a little differently <laughs> the here. The West Coast. <laughs> so I do like, we have to talk about, and this is so, this is such like a weird thing to talk about. I don't always cover it on the podcast, but it, I just, 
we need to talk about the way these books are titled or not titled or subtitled. Like, what is the deal? So I pulled up the full list of books. And listeners, I will, of course, post a picture of this cover this week on Instagram and elsewhere. And so we have this picture of Dawn in the pool. And then it just says Dawn. And under Dawn, it just says friends, period. Changes, period. Together, period. Alone, period. (laughs) And it turns out that this is the format that they stuck with for all of the other 14 books. So each of the books is assigned like a different one of these like main characters in California. And so I, I presume that like on each of those covers, there's the title of the character whose diary we're meant to think the book is. And then similarly, like there's just these like words punctuated weirdly by periods. So here's a couple of my favorites. Living, period. Dying, period. Run, period. How about perfect, period. Always, period. Pressure, period. Oh, and here's the second to last one. This is really, really rich. Confusion, period. Pain, period. Away, period. Whose is that? Amalia. Oh, I don't remember anything about her story. The one you mentioned, Living, Dying, Run, I have a memory of that's probably sunny. It sure is. And the cover is like an orange marigold type color. Yeah. And then there's like a very, I mean, this is deeply 90s and like deeply problematic. But book number eight, which is Maggie's Diary, is subtitled, Wait, Period, Problems, Period. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. Probably, I doubt I read that We never stood a chance. (laughs) Triggering. We never stood a chance. (laughs) So um, I just, I don't know that I have a question about any of that. I don't know that I have like anything real to say about it, but it's, it is a real choice to use this method to like, to, I get, I feel calling these titles feels weird, but this just feels like a, like a strong choice. And I wanted to make sure I mentioned it because it's unique and it's not something that I've seen before. This particular like format choice. No, it's funny you say that because I actually, no, I'm looking at the book and I was like, oh yeah, I guess that was there the whole time. I just didn't notice. I always kind of assume they were called like, because Dawn had a few and it would be like the number one and then number four whenever she pops back in in the series. But I kind of took those words as like, I don't know, you're a 13 year old girl and no one's going to understand you. But then you see those words and be like, maybe Dawn gets it or maybe Sunny gets it. It is very like melodramatic. I'm sitting in my room, listening to my boombox, feeling feelings, thinking of words. Like that's kind of what this evokes. Totally. And I was giggling too when Dawn was saying she's literally been keeping a journal the entire like her entire life because her school in California mandated it. And she took took a year off when she was in Stony Brook with her mother or whatever because they didn't have that requirement. I just love that the the concept of California is you have to start journaling in kindergarten. That like really made me laugh. And all the kids do it. <laughs> right. Like no rules about what's in the journal, clearly, because she really gets personal in the journal. And according to these subtitle title things, like things are only going to get more personal in other journals. But yeah, like you just have to turn in a journal. And it's funny, I was I just recorded an episode about the second book in the Princess Diaries series. Mm-hmm. And they did a similar thing there where like, you know, Mia had been keeping her diary from the first book. But then in the second book, like a teacher has mandated that she has to start keeping a diary. And so then Meg Cabot employs this sort of like two diary structure where there are like some entries that are for like <laughs> Mia's actual emotional processing. It's like her, you know, being truly teenager-esque and like spiraling. And then there are the entries that are like for teachers that are way more tame. 
So it's just like funny that we are reading both of those quotes together. But here's the premise. So here we have Dawn. She's back from Stony Brook. She was in Stony Brook for a year. The big joke with the Babysitter's Club is that like there are all these hundreds and hundreds of books and like time tends to stand still. They never get older. (laughs) Nothing ever changes. Dawn does leave at some point and she goes back to California where she lived before the move. And she not only moves back to California, but she moves back to her old school and her own her old town. So she basically like picks up right where she left off. As an adult, I have like some questions and like curiosities about why exactly she decided to like just move back to California to be with her dad. I like want the drama there. Like what happened? There had to have been some Something. drama. Something. Because it's also rare the kids are with the dad more than the mother. Especially in the 90s. I know. And mother's remarried. She's a stepsister. I mean, by all metrics, had a very, like, nice life in Stony Brook. So I also want to know what that drama is. <laughs> I know. I wish that Anna Martin had also written, like, a mini, like a, a mini series of books from the perspectives of, oh, my gosh, the parents. Why didn't that ha- – why did that never happen? I know. I don't know, but did you watch the Babysitter's Club series on Netflix? It was so cute. It was so good. Oh, my God. I loved it so much. And I actually loved how they went into some of the adult storylines. Totally. Like how Marion's dad met Don's mother. I loved Alicia Silverstone as Christy's mom. I just thought, wow, what a great opportunity. And I'm furious that it got canceled for what it's worth. I agree. I agree. I think it should come back. But yeah, I'm like... I want to hear from Dawn's mom about what happened that made Dawn and her little brother move back to California and also how she feels about it because that must have been very difficult. So Dawn is back in California, one big change, and here's the other big change. She starts eighth grade. It's all very exciting. They are calling themselves the rulers because they are the oldest kids in school. Classic. And then they're all called into an assembly. And something kind of weird was going on because Dawn kept like commenting on how crowded the school was which is just like a very specific (laughs) thing for a child to notice like I mean I guess some people are really sensitive to crowds I get that I don't love crowds but I don't think I realized that I didn't love crowds or could at least like identify that as a thing until I was an adult like she's so preoccupied by how crowded school is and so when they're called in for this assembly we of course as adult readers who are way too old for this book are like "Hmm, this probably is going to have something to do with the crowds (laughs) That's how I felt, at least. I don't want to speak for you, Rachel. But they get to the assembly, and the principal is like, so, big news, guys. Um, It's really crowded here. (laughs) Not sure if you noticed. (laughs) It's really crowded. Like, things are really packed. And the eighth graders are actually going to move up to the high school a year early. So they're going to become high schoolers. And (laughs) it's just, like, devastation. The rulers are no longer the rulers. They are about to be demoted to the lowest on the totem pole in high school. And I, I have a personal experience that's not completely different from this. The The school that I went to in elementary school was kindergarten through sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And so similarly to, to these girls in the book, like in sixth grade, there were all these perks. Like you got to have a Halloween dance and like you got to change classes, like all these things that were cool. But also like you didn't quite have a locker yet. Like you were still a kid. So it was still very safe. I was very excited. And then at the beginning of the year, there were a lot of sort of upheavals in my life at home and in my family. And by probably the middle of October, my mom had told me that we would be moving. And that is hard enough, especially at that age. And then I learned that the new school I would be going to in that district, middle school started in sixth grade. So I, I sort of had a very small window of being 
the rulers, if we can like draw the parallel to this book. Yes. And then I was thrown into a very different kind of community, much different like culture. And I was the youngest. And all of these other sixth graders had had a little bit of time to adapt to things like lockers and like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And also, I didn't even think about this part. It was a school that like the middle school and the high school were kind of connected. So I was seeing high schoolers around. Oh my God, I'm Dawn. I didn't even realize this. Yeah, I know. I was about to say. So did you move in the middle of sixth grade? Yeah. How much does that suck? I did too. You did? It sucks so bad. Yeah. Like, so I went to schools where it was like divided into three for K through eight. So it was like K through two was in one school. Okay. Third through fifth was in another school and sixth through eight was in another school. So by the time I got to the junior high, I was like, okay, I'm in junior high school now. It was all so exciting. And then my parents sold their house and we moved in the middle of sixth grade. And I moved to a school that was K through eight, which was kind of just like you were talking a little bit like different culture. It was just a different sort of neighborhood. The kids were growing up a lot faster. Same. Let's put it that way. Exactly the And same I was situation. such a square and it was like very shocking to me to learn about what was like going on in the locker rooms during gym class. Like it was just the girls were growing up and the boys for that matter were growing up way faster than where I had lived before and it was a shock. Exactly. The exactly the same situation. We have so much to talk about. Yes. And I, I was a child and I thought that I was cool like showing up in what I'm sure was a very nerdy outfit and these girls all had like <laughs> I remember everybody had pumas in sixth grade like that was the really like chic thing to have and they all had pumas and mm-hmm. I definitely didn't have pumas so yeah I like I really resonated with these girls but they were so much more aware of it like I think and maybe it was because there were so many other things going on with this move but it didn't really occur to me that I was about to be like the lowest of the low as a sixth grader until I got there. And I was like, oh, right, there's like adults here. Like there are men. I think there was a line, you referenced the line, Rachel, where she was like, these guys could be my dad. But there's also a line where they were like, these were people who could drive cars and like- And vote. Right, and vote and like lift weights. And like, I yes, I too was in school. All of it. I went from school where there were like literal five-year-olds in the same yeah. hallway to a school where there were people who could vote in the same hallway. And- I think I just, I really felt for Dawn because of that. No, honestly, same. And I even remember thinking that as a freshman when I got to high school, like, oh my God, I'm in school with grown men. (laughs) I just remember this like crowd of senior guys and they were all on the football and basketball team. And I'm sure now as an adult, they probably did not look like grown men, obviously. I actually just went back to my high school recently. They hosted me for Stone Cold Fox stuff and I just could not get over how little everybody looked it was just so crazy because when you're in high school you think you are the big time and I do have like visceral memories of walking down the hallway and seeing like I had a big crush on this guy the senior guy Brian Harrigan and I just thought he was so hot but like a grown man and I was just like oh he would never look at me like I'm just a 14 year old you're like he's probably (laughs) married with children he probably is I'm sure he is now but I definitely thought he was at the time it was shocking how just how much older you can look when you're a junior, senior versus a freshman, sophomore. It was kind of funny. To, I just thought she really captured a lot of those little things about going to high school and being the youngest that I kind of just forgot all about until I reread this. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's like this real culture of hazing at the high school. So typically, like it's understood that ninth graders will be hazed when they get to high school. Not something that I experienced, thankfully, but in this book, it's just like taken for granted that when you begin high school, you'll be hazed. But the girls are like, oh, wait, this is awesome. 
the ninth graders already <laughs> were hazed because we're moving in the middle of the year. And so the upperclassmen have already done like all of their usual hazing stuff. So like, we're good. We're not going to get hazed. We're just going to get to go to the parties and like try to figure out this whole high school thing. And spoiler alert, that's not what happens. But we should chat a little <laughs> bit about Dawn's friends because I've skipped right over the the girl gang. Yes. And um, to your point early on, Rachel, you were talking about how there are experiences in this book that are just captured so well. And I think really are universal. I mean, there are some like kind of absurd moments like with parties and like things do get out of hand, but there's like the core <laughs> of this book is actually super grounded. And it's about what happens when friendship dynamics shift and what happens when you're at this sort of crossroads in eighth or ninth grade, middle school or high school, depending where you can sort of stay like this earnest, sweet, young kind of tween or become more mature quickly and that's what's happening in Don's friend group and and those changes are personified in this core little girl gang that she has when she comes back to California so there's Sunny and Maggie and Jill and let's talk through each of them quickly what did you think about Sunny when you were reacquainted with her on this go around so I remembered her being like edgy and cool and I would say that that continued um, as I reread this as an adult. I definitely knew a Sunny or two growing up and they were fun and I liked them. I just knew they were going on a path that was faster than mine and I remember being really sad about it but it wasn't like a big falling out and I could kind of sense that going to happen maybe with Dawn and Sunny but she has a lot going on at home her mother's very ill with cancer seems like her dad's not really paying that much attention to her because of that and she just sort of seems like one of these rough around the edges girls that always wants to get out of the house and I'm not shocked that she was leading the charge when they ultimately go to that party let's put it that way <laughs> yes I think that captures pretty much everything that I would say about Sunny as well what about Maggie Maggie wasn't as well drawn in this book. I feel like she had a couple of her, like, I don't know, I was calling her like rich bitch in my head. Like yeah. she's just showing up to sleepovers in a limousine because her father's a producer, How but she hates it. <laughs> she just wants to be a vet and go live in the woods with animals. So she kind of made me laugh here and there, but I feel like of all the four girls, she was probably the least focused on in this first uh, book of the California Diaries, but seemed nice enough. Similar to Dawn, it seems like they were on a similar trajectory as far as like, like, they don't want to grow up too fast, but they still want to be cool. Like, they're not, I mean, we're about to talk about her, but, like, I've also known some Jills, and, like, that's a sad situation, too. So before we move on to Jill, because I have a lot of feelings about her, I will say that as far as Maggie goes, I, I of course, had to do a little Wikipedia stop um, before we jumped mm -hmm. on to see if I could get any more information about the series as a whole. And there are lovely summaries of what happens to each of these core characters, and I agree with you because a lot of the things that were mentioned about Maggie in that summary totally didn't reveal themselves in this first book. And of course, there are other books to come and there's a lot of time, but there's a lot in that summary or there was a lot in that summary about um, the pressure that Maggie feels to be perfect. And there is some of that in this book, but it, it definitely wasn't what I walked away with feeling was like the most was like the biggest part of her personality. And then apparently she is like a really good singer and she, she's secretly passionate about songwriting, but she's scared that her dad will judge her. And later on, she joins a band. Wow. Yeah. Good for her. I know. Because in this book, it was just sort of like she pays for things for her friends. She has a cat that she has to brush his teeth. <laughs> like all these little like funny details, but not that much about 
like what she wanted or her personality, I guess. Yeah. She just kind of go with the flow in this in this book. <laughs> well, it turns out she wants to be a star, but just not oh, the same kind her. of star that her dad wants her to be. So right. she finds herself. What happened to the animals? That's what I'd like to know. She's so gung-ho about. That's like the biggest part of her personality, I would say, in this book yeah. is how much she wants to be a vet and how much she loves animals. Pets are fully her personality in this book. <laughs> yes. And as somebody who's pet, <laughs> is debatably their personality. I feel like I can say that. But I just thought it was funny that like her friends just accepted that her pets were her personality. It was like the only thing they ever asked her about were her pets and like what was going on with the different animals. So yeah, there was not, I don't even think I remember seeing her like hum on the page. Like I did not get the sense that she cared about music at all. No. But let's talk about Jill. Poor, sweet Jill. And it occurred to me as I was looking through the full title list of the series that sadly... There are no Jill diaries. Yeah, I got that impression. <laughs> so at the end of the book, when Jill and Don have their friend breakup, I sort of initially thought like, oh, in the next book, like they're going to work it out. But Jill does not have her own diaries and Jill does not even have a dedicated section on the Wikipedia page for this series. So I think things with Jill are kind of done though. I think so too. And that's the impression I got from the ending. I mean, I know we're skipping ahead, but it's just sort of, I don't know. I thought it was pretty reminiscent of these conversations you have at that age where it's just like, okay, see you around. Like, sorry. But like you say you'll see each other around, but then you literally never hang out at one another's house again. Like it's just over. I mean, I don't know how many friendships I've had at those ages where like, it just you go through phases where you're like, okay, I'm hanging out with this group now, and then all of a sudden one day you just decide mm, probably not going to hang out with them anymore, or they decide they're not going to hang out with you, or whatever it is. Like friendships are so fickle at that age, and so I don't know. I felt really bad for Jill, but also I think she's going to find other friends that are more suited to her phase in life because they did go into the high school, and I think there's going to be more kids that you know she can possibly meet that. She'll find her people, but I know I, I, it made me think of a couple girls I was friends with and I wanted to be friends with the cooler girls. And I don't think I ever said anything overtly mean, but I definitely like stopped hanging out with them and I'm sure they were sad about it. And it just, it's just a sucky situation. I think Jill needs to join some clubs. Yes. Don't you think? Like get involved in some extracurriculars. 100%. I could see her joining like the art club or the newspaper or something just like really sweet where she can focus on like her creativity. Honestly, I thought her slumber party sounded fun. I agree. <laughs> like streamers, balloons, cupcakes. What's the issue here? Sure, I would attend now at my age, which is very inappropriate, but it sounds awesome. I know. I was like, how dare you girls be mean to Jill after she throws this fantastic slumber party for you? So rude. But she's like embarrassing. Like she wears these sweaters she is with like teddy bears on them and unicorns. She, uh, it's and it just, which Don wonders aloud why they aren't called unicorns, which also made me laugh. That's a good question. <laughs> why aren't they called unicorns? <laughs> good point, Don. Don is coming in with the heavy hitting questions. She like carries around little like stuffed dogs. And wants to give them to her friends. And then the older girls start calling her puppy pal. And it's just... Yeah, Jill. Like, she, I know. You want to, like, root for her. But then you're like, come on, babe. Like, even if you weren't in the high school, you're still in eighth grade. Like, why are we hanging on to these little kid things? Like, I understood why Dawn would get annoyed with her. Like, I get it. It's It sucks for everyone, but I get it. I really do. <laughs> yeah, Jill needs to learn to read the room. Yes, 100%. That puppy pal note was... 
very cringy. And then the older girls were calling Dawn puppy pal throughout the rest of the book, which had to have been completely horrifying. Horrifying. So Dawn (laughs) is like observing all of these changes. There's tension in the friend group and she, she writes in her diary. Sometimes I'm like Jill and I just want everything to stay the way it's been. I want us to be young and safe. But sometimes I'm like Sunny, wanting to surge forward and get on with things, impatient for whatever is coming, not even caring what it is, just wanting to experience it, taste it, live it. So like she gets it. Dawn sees what's going on and she's kind of trying to figure out where she's going to be. But now it's time to talk about the party because Dawn somehow manages to spend, I don't know, 75% of this diary recounting the events of the night of the party and it's so funny to me because like you know you get one entry and she's telling like the first part of the party and then she's like oh like gotta go I'm exhausted and then like (laughs) okay anyway more about the party and so Anna Martin and her ghostwriters got a lot of mileage out of this diary format. I was curious why they made that decision because I feel like I guess they just wanted every chapter diary entry to be roughly the same amount of words. Mm. That's the only thing I could think about because I was thinking there's no way Dawn stops writing about this party. If she's doing the entry, it could go for pages and pages. Like you are going to write every single thing that happened. So that was one part that actually really pulled me out. I'm like, why is this being divided into 10 chapters over the course of the next handful of days? Because I also thought it would be cute when it would be like Saturday, mid-afternoon, and like Sunday later. <laughs> like yeah. It was all very specific. I'm like, she would have written this on Saturday at like 2 a.m. whenever she got home right. and would have written the whole thing. So just embrace the reality of the situation, please, Miss Martin. <laughs> yeah, it's like when influencers like don't post their com- their content in real time and not just for safety purposes, but just like drag things out for an inappropriate <laughs> amount of time. And you're like, aren't you still posting about a birthday party that you went to like five days ago for content? Yeah, That's kind of how weird. it felt. So yeah. this party, they get this mysterious invitation from the upperclassmen and they're under the impression that like only the cool eighth graders got invited. Like turns out like all the eighth graders basically got invited. <laughs> so here's our first clue that you guys are being completely tricked. But the girls are really excited. They want to go, but they are thinking that they're not going to be allowed. Their parents won't let them because their parents obviously see through what's going on. So as we kind of referred to before, Jill's like, not a problem. I'll throw a party instead. (laughs) Why are you upset? I don't want to go to this weird, creepy upperclassmen event anyway. Like I'll just buy some streamers and we'll hang out with my mom. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I'm in. She ordered pizza. She had movies at the ready. Mary Poppins and Pollyanna. Like, I have my jammies on, I have the musicals ready to go, we're going to play Uno, and then we're going to stay up till 11 o'clock. Like, she has a plan, and it's going to be wild. And Sunny and Maggie and Dawn, to a certain extent, especially Sunny, like, they are just not happy to be here. And they are thrilled when they learn that Jill's mom and sister are going out for a little while, um, and so they see it as an opportunity to sneak out and, and go to this party. Jill, I guess to her credit, because I I respect a girl with boundaries, is like, sorry, but I'm still not going. And I probably would have been a Jill. I did not wear a teddy bear and unicorn sweatshirts, and I did not carry around a puppy pal, but I was very nervous about some of those like grown-up kinds of things. I did not drink in high school. I tended to avoid like older kids until I was really a senior. And so I too would have fully panicked if my friends came over and they're like, no, actually we're just gonna, now we're gonna sneak out 
to this other party, I would have freaked out and I probably would have looked for reasons to stay home myself. So I really respected her for doing that. I did too. I, I would have done the same thing and not because same, same caveat wasn't into diapers or unicorns, but like in eighth grade, especially I was not like a rule breaker and I certainly wasn't going to go to some upperclassman party without like telling my mom. There's just no way. And I actually thought we should give Jill a lot of credit too because I probably would have told my mom that my friends went to a party and not to tattle on them because I think I would have been like actually concerned about like their safety and like doing the right thing and making sure like a trusted adult knows what's happening. Like that's the kind of eighth grader I definitely was. Yeah, I mean, I think Jill really did like the best she could at being both true to herself and like being loyal to her friends. Yeah. And I think if they'd been gone any longer, I do think she would have made the smart move of like telling her mom. But I just I think she did everything right in this situation. So good for you, Jill. I I, yeah. I am gonna take back some of my comments about the fact that you're embarrassing. Um, but you <laughs> still are a little embarrassing. So Dawn, Maggie and Sunny walk on a dark like rural (laughs) highway I think and we must remember listeners there are no phones nobody has a phone nobody has GPS so the whole scene where they're like you know they just know what the address is and they're like oh yeah I I think if we just go over this way and make the second turn it completely blew my mind because I just could not function in that environment and I certainly couldn't function in that environment as a 13 year old Yeah, it was interesting. I guess depending on the neighborhood you live in, you do know kind of where to go. But you really are. I mean, they're so young. They really are at the mercy of just, I mean, they don't even have anyone to drive them and they certainly can't drive themselves. So I did, it was kind of a cute image just picturing these like three 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds like trying to find this house party, which I totally imagined as a house party from like a 90s teen movie as well. It just seemed like it was already raging upon the time they walked in. Like the kids are smoking and drinking and making out. And of course there's a pool. There's always a pool. (laughs) But we are in California. So that's right. Where everyone has a pool. Everybody has a pool. So yeah, I mean, these three intrepid party animals like find their way (laughs) to the party without a map or without a phone. And as you said, Rachel, like, it's pretty much exactly what you would expect it to be, drinking, smoking, a pool. And really, like, what I took away from this section is that Sunny gets wasted. Like, that's kind of the main, that's, like, the main plot point that happens at the party. There are, of course, some, like, awkward run-ins with older students. There's a lot that's not quite sitting right with Dawn about how everybody's behaving. She meets Amalia. She meets a couple of other upperclassmen. They meet Ducky later on when he gives them a ride home. But generally, like, what we're getting is a lot of Sunny drinking too much and throwing up. And we have all been there. Yes. <laughs> Whether we're the Sunny or someone taking care of the Sunny. And I think those first times, too, are especially memorable. <laughs> like, I'm sure Sunny will never forget it. And I would say the same for Dawn. I did think it was cool that Dawn and Maggie were just kind of like, we're just going to be here and observe what's happening. But it didn't even seem like they were remotely tempted. Like they were actively turned off by the alcohol and the cigarettes. Meanwhile, Sunny ran wild. <laughs> I wonder how much of that was like, I'm curious if, you know, being in the room with Anna Martin and her editor when they were conceiving of this series and like kind of planning what each book would be like, I wonder how much of this was about like, yes, these books should be a little bit more mature, a little wilder than the Babysitter's Club, but we also still have to make like Dawn herself, like Dawn can't go too crazy. Dawn still has to be pretty wholesome. I wonder if they were thinking a lot about that balance. 
That could be. I also kind of just thought, and I think this is one of the reasons I always like Dawn and the Babysitter's Club too. She's just is one of these that has a really level head and always kind of marches to the beat of her own drum. She's never super influenced by anybody. Like she just like likes what she likes. So I wasn't that shocked that Dawn was confident enough to be like, I'm good. I'm still going to be here and enjoy the party, but I'm not going to go down that path just yet. And I don't know if she does later. I don't remember the whole series. And I remember thinking something about Dawn doing drugs too or something terrible happened. And then as I'm reading these, I'm like, I'm pretty sure drinking was as dark as it got, but I could be wrong. I don't know if drugs enter the chat in later books, but to me, this seemed very like representative of high school, eighth grade. And like, it wasn't you know, euphoria in the way that like, I don't remember these books being. <laughs> yeah, if we're talking about a high school house party with drinking, it's a pretty wholesome <laughs> version of that. It's not a 2023 version. It's no, it's very like 10 things I hate about you kind of. Vibe, yes, that's a great way to describe it. <laughs> so Sunny is just like throwing up everywhere. They're trying to get her to like pull herself together because they now have to walk back to Jill's house. There's something about a lost wallet. I think Sunny's lost wallet that I honestly kind of like lost the thread of a little bit. I think Sunny like leaves her wallet somewhere and then she realizes it. Did I, what did I miss there? There was something where Mandy, the like older bully, that the one that was calling Dawn puppy pal, like took the wallet and right. like planted it there so they would know, someone would know that she was there or something. Because then it ends up like, I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but it's actually like no one's home, but it's none of their parents' house. It's one of their teachers' houses. So I think the wallet plant the whole thing was like to prank or to haze the eighth graders. Right. Okay. So for some reason, I think Sunny was extra vulnerable since she was the one, one of them that got drunk. And then they took her wallet just to really twist the knife. It's honestly horrendous. <laughs> it's, it's pretty horrendous. It's pretty horrendous. So they're trying to walk home. It's not going well. They get picked up by this older boy named Ducky. His real name's Christopher, but people call him Ducky because he reminds them of the character in Pretty in Pink, which I loved as a reference. And I will say, like, we don't have time to get into this today, but there's a lot online about queer coding in this series and how if this series were written today, Ducky would most certainly be written as an outright gay teenager. Yeah. And that hopefully it wouldn't be like this big tormented situation. He would just be like living his life. I guess later in the series, there are some pretty like explicit comments in his diary about how he feels like he missed the memo about how to be a boy and he would always just rather hang out with his girlfriend. So of course, like these are all like really reductive things, but it does seem like there's a lot of commentary out there about Ducky being gay. And that does come up in the Babysitter's Club as well. So yes, too much to get into. I got the sense that he was and figured that Anna Martin wasn't explicitly writing it as such because it was 1997, which yeah. is so lame. Because initially I'd be like, don't get into a strange upper class boy's car. But I was like, oh, you can get in his car. He'll take yeah. you home. He's safe. <laughs> well, I, I found an interesting blog post about it and I'll make sure that's linked in the show notes listeners if you want to check it out. But okay. So they make it back to Jill's house and Jill is pissed. Jill is like, you're <laughs> late, is. you're drunk, this is horrible. She is not here for any of their antics. Get your head off my pillow, Sunny. You've been barfing. Get out of here. <laughs> I can't say I disagree with any of that. Like, that's... I know. I, Jill was completely justified in her ire. I she thought. was justified. <laughs> and you were kind of hinting at this, Rachel, but after the night of the party, a lot comes to the surface. So we find out that the upperclassmen were pranking the eighth graders by getting them to go to this house 
where Ms. Kruger, one of their teachers lives, and Ms. Kruger was away that night. And so it was an abandoned house for the night, really. And so they trashed this teacher's home when she had no idea that anybody was coming at all. So she comes home to all this damage, true nightmare situation. Truly. And then like, there's a lot about the fallout and like how the punishments are doled out or not doled out in school. And I did think it was interesting, like how this was also public And I don't think that that's how it would have been handled in my high school. I don't know if that's how like these kinds of situations are handled in real life, but like the teachers, the principals, everybody was really involved. And I guess because it was a teacher whose house like was damaged by the situation, that's probably part of it. But I don't know. I, it just felt like this was something maybe like a parents in the real world would handle. But anyway, yeah. Well, I thought it was wild that Ms. Kruger was like, I'm not even going to tell your parents. <laughs> I'm letting you off with a warning. I was like, Miss Kruger is, oh, we'll put this in quotations, a cool teacher. I was like, very like, okay. They really, I was with Jill at the end where she's like, you guys didn't even get in any trouble. <laughs> like, what the hell? I was with Jill too, because I'm all about justice. If like, I'm going to take a stand and, and do the uncool thing, then I expect that I will be rewarded somehow. 100%. So I was actually very judgmental of Miss um, Kruger. I thought she was appealing a little too much to the kids and being seen as cool. I mean, I know why she let them off the warning, but it still didn't track as like, you're the teacher, you're the adult, like there needs to be a consequence, even if they were the good kids that were there. Right. And initially, we thought that it was just those like nice eighth graders who weren't going to get in trouble. And that like, you know, Dawn and her friends were kind of at the edge of their seat to see what would happen to the upperclassmen who had caused all of this. Yeah. But then they all go into an assembly. And again, like nobody's really being held accountable for this. Like it's just like not to their parents. No, like the parents have not been looped in at all. No, it's and and that like the parents are the ones who would actually like punish them. Instead, it's like you know you're all on probation. What does that even mean? And also, <laughs> like the damage to Ms. Kruger's house is going to come out of your like class funds, which means you won't be able to go on field trips and you won't be able to have dances or whatever. Because there was so much focus on like what Dawn was thinking about the punishments that might happen and on how accountability like might play out, it was very weird to me that like there was no payoff there. No, and it was just these like shared funds. Because like, I just I remember class funds were always this sort of like it didn't feel like real tangible money. Yeah. We got to do whatever we pretty much wanted anyway, and like I'm sure there were other like funds coming from somewhere else because I doubt we like paid for like the entire prom I mean we did these fundraisers and stuff but I looking back I was the secretary as well I should know this but like how much money did we actually make probably not that much I don't know it was just funny to me that that was the punishment like for the entire school like every single class got dinged and presumably not every single kid was at the party so like it's actually my least favorite type of punishment where like even when you're not involved they're just gonna punish all of you they'd be like when like my brother and I would be in an argument. It was obviously his fault, but then we both would get in trouble. Like, I, I just, I hate that. So I, I actually feel like that punishment was ridiculous in more ways than one. Like, what about the kids that were just at home on Saturday night? Their class ones are being taken as well? That's bullshit. <laughs> and those are the kids that definitely would have wanted to like go to the museum on the field trip. And now they don't 100%. get to go on the field trip. And that's really unfair. I agree with you. This is really what like causes the big friend breakup at the end because Jill is pissed off that that Dawn like can't acknowledge how fucked up it is that justice has not been served. And like Dawn kind of tries to be all high and mighty about it where she's like, Jill, like you don't understand. Like sometimes in life, like (laughs) as you get older, like things just aren't fair. 
And they have this like really sad moment at the end of the book. And it's, it as we now know, based on my Wikipedia research, um, Jill does not come back. At least no, not in a big way, which is sad. She's just floating around at school. With puppy pal. see her again. With puppy pal. Mm. Um, I have a loose thread question for you because yes. I feel like I missed this. And I actually want to talk about this woman. Let's talk about Carol and Dawn and their like very spicy relationship and the fact that like, yes, what is going on there? Why aren't they friendly? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, my dad has had girlfriends in the past that I didn't get along with either. But like it to me, it seems like Dawn is just like sticking her nose where it doesn't necessarily belong. So what happened with the pregnancy? Okay. So listeners, here's the deal. It with sounded Carol. so ominous. Carol is the stepmom. <laughs> and Again, we have questions about, like, what happened with the adults that brought Don and Jeff to California. Don and Jeff's dad is gone. And it's very dramatic because Don is like, and on the very day that I'm starting high school, like, how dare you? I can't be here alone with Carol. But that's what's happening. <laughs> and so she has to deal with Carol. And while her dad is away, she does that thing that we used to do with landlines where she picks up one extension while Carol is on the phone. And she overhears a conversation between Carol and her doctor basically confirming that Carol is pregnant. And Dawn, like, kind of freaks out a little bit. But again, like, we have to remember that she is a babysitter first and foremost. And so she yeah, loves She's babies. excited. She's she like, this babies. is exciting. Yes. Right. So it's like maybe they'll come together. But it's very – so then I, of course, being 32, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, there's something wrong with Carol. And Dawn kind of hints at that toward the like throughout the book where she's like maybe she's not talking about it because she's not healthy like maybe there's something wrong with the pregnancy maybe there's this drama with the pregnancy but like we never really find out why carol was keeping it secret because in the end she does tell don's dad okay good i thought i missed something no but then you i was left with like but why why was it's so ominous sounding like what was going on there well I mean I like the part of me that lives in 2023 and like wants these books to be more progressive than they really are is like maybe Carol doesn't want to be pregnant and maybe she's going to figure out how to not be pregnant anymore that's true but I don't think that's what Anna Martin was really trying to hint at here <laughs> no I don't think so either and I, I that's why I was sort of irritated with Dawn I'm like just She'll tell him when he gets home. He's only away for 10 days, which I know 10 days when you're eighth grade sounds like an eternity. But it was like, maybe she just wants to tell him in person to his face. Like Dawn just was not letting it go. She's like, tell my father about all of his children. There was like a part where like it was underlined or something. And it, yeah, I don't know. I just thought. I thought, poor Carol. She's, I, oh, I just kind of felt like Dawn was a brat to her all the time for no real reason. <laughs> it was very 90s. Like, this person is my step-parent, and as a result, I just don't like them for no – like, that's the whole reason. Right. So, no, you didn't miss anything. It was a little weird. Maybe later on we find out more about Carol. I did discover that she has a baby girl, and I like to think that because of Dawn's babysitting background, that brings them together a little bit, but I guess time will tell. I know. Because that was, that was the other part of this book where I was like, ah, oh, like when Dawn like says, I don't really miss the babysitter's club. I don't really miss babysitting. My friends here and I, we were going to babysit and then just decided not to. And it's like just fully not a part of her identity anymore. It was so weird. <laughs> I thought it was pretty rude that she said more than one time that she like actually didn't miss her friends in Connecticut. <laughs> she was like, that was just some weird year I spent in Connecticut. This is where I really belong. I'm a California girl. <laughs> like I thought it was really rude. And that she had used the BSE just so that she wouldn't be lonely in Stony Brook. I know. 
It was an interesting character choice and kind of nefarious from Dawn, who's usually so, like, you know, amiable. Yeah, she didn't even <laughs> miss Marianne, her best friend and stepsister. I know. And the fa- and you're right, she, she said it more than once. Mm-hmm. It was kind of pointed. Yeah, it was like, cold. What was Anne trying to tell us? Maybe Anne didn't miss them either. Maybe Anne <laughs> Maybe. was like, <laughs> She's like, I'm sick of those girls. <laughs> Hundreds of books later, I'm ready to go to California. <laughs> This has been so fun. And Rachel, I have to know, kind of like on the whole, thinking about our conversation, also your experience rereading the book, how does this like adult perspective on Dawn, California Diaries, Friends, Changes, Together, Alone, whatever this book is called, (laughs) how does it compare to your memories of it? Does it hold up? Does it disappoint you? I think it held up better than I thought it would. And I think it's because... It certainly wasn't as edgy as I remember it being, but I actually think that's kind of cute because in like seventh grade or however old I was, I thought this was like a very edgy book, but I thought it was like a pretty good snapshot into that particular age group for young girls and how friendship breakups, you don't like fully understand why they're happening, but you know, it's part of life. And I don't know. I thought Dawn was a really good little narrator for this journey. I came away liking her even more than I already did. I'm so glad. I love when a book holds up for somebody, especially somebody who has such fond memories of that book. So I'm glad that that happened. Other than Dawn, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh, yeah. I just read Emma Klein's new book, The Guest, and I really loved it. I know a lot of people love The Girls, which I did too. This one's pretty different, but I got a lot out of it. I really enjoyed it. Big recommend. I also read this book recently called They're Going to Love You by Meg Howry, and it's a ballet slash sad dad book, which checks a lot of my boxes. (laughs) So I really, really enjoyed that one too. And then I keep recommending The Shards by Brett Easton Ellis, and I'm going to recommend it here too because that's a very different type of California diary, but it is about high schoolers in in the 80s in West LA, and they're rich and entitled and bratty, and there's a serial killer on the loose, and it, it was a blast. I really enjoyed it. Amazing. Well, I will link all three of those recommendations in the show notes for this episode. I have been wanting to read The Guest. I was a big fan of The Girls when it came out. Also, I remember being super polarizing and I didn't really understand why because I loved it. I loved it too. So I will, yeah, maybe I'll move The Guest up on my TBR a little bit. I think you'll like, I think she really nails what it's like to be a young woman in certain situations. I felt that way with The Girls and certainly with The Guest. It was good. I don't want to say too much because I went in blind and I think that was a good experience. I like to go in blind to most books. I think it's nice. Well, at the risk of giving our listeners more information about your book and having them not go into reading it blind, I I have (laughs) to give you a chance to talk about Stone Cold's Fox because it has been everywhere. I'm looking at the super cool cover behind you on the shelf and it is, it's really one of my favorite covers of the last year. So I think it's so amazing. It stands out so much on the shelf. I want to congratulate you on its success and just how much people have been buzzing about it. And I'd love for you to share a little bit more about the book and even your process with it to our listeners so that they can go get a copy. Sure. I'm so glad you love the cover because I do too. When I saw it for the first time, I screamed. And now I like gladly tell people, by all means, please judge my book by its cover because it's just such a good cover. I died. But yeah, Stone Cold Fox is about B. We could call her the semi-reformed daughter of a con artist who kind of wants to hang up her devious hat for good. And she sees a path forward to that through marriage into the 1%. So when she happens upon this guy, Colin Case, who's a very eligible 
bachelor think like, you know, a Kennedy or like from the Johnson and Johnson family, like old, old money doesn't anticipate um, getting the ring from him will be an issue, but rather getting the approval of his family and friends and inner circle, namely his childhood best friend, Gail Wallace Lester, who will stop at nothing to take B down. <laughs> Such good names. Like Gail Wallace It's Lester. one of my favorite parts so of the whole process. Yeah, and as far as my process for writing goes, like I will do because I'm a working screenwriter as well, and I've been writing screenplays before I wrote my first novel. And I actually think for me, it made me a better novelist because I'm very concerned when I'm writing anything with pacing and twists and turns and keeping people on their toes, but without losing a strong characterization. And so B just was always my number one priority when writing and where I could lean into humor as well. Because I read a lot of thrillers. I enjoy them. And this isn't a knock on the genre. I just find that they're largely quite humorless. And so when I was thinking about what I could bring to the table for my version of a thriller, I was like, I want to make this like as funny as possible. And using B's voice um, made that such a blast for me when I was writing. Like I loved any time I could burn like Colin or Gail. <laughs> like it was just because B is like she's smart and bitchy and fun, and she's just like I could write a hundred books as B. Um, I just think her voice is such a blast. Well, I'm happy to report that after months of waiting, my copy has finally come in at the library, oh. and so I'm going to pick it up tomorrow. That's and exciting. Yes, <laughs> yes. I was sad that I didn't get to read it before we chatted, but then the timing of it, it just seemed meant to be because I got the email that it was coming in and I was like, oh, and I'm talking to Rachel. So perfect. perfect. And I'm really excited <laughs> to read it. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you for spending the time with me and talking about all of the ridiculousness of Dawn. Uh, this has been a really, <laughs> really great conversation. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. Bye. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>